You talk too much, you worry me to death. You talk too much, you even worry my pet. You talk too much, you talk too much. Talking to you, cat. Oh yeah, my favorite podcast is the Sick and Wrong Podcast. Cause it's a very good podcast. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. It's a funny, 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 funny show. Sick and Wrong Podcast is a wonderful Good evening. Welcome to Sick and Wrong, the world's source for antisocial commentary. I'm one of your host, E. Simon. Ayo, it's Kate Rambo. Kate Rambo. I have to say mazel tov on two years of uh, hosting this podcast. It has flown by. Yes, two long years of servitude. I didn't realize that. I, you know, I think technically maybe last week might have been the two-year anniversary. Or is it It was this Halloween. Week? Yeah, no, probably would have been last week then. Yes. Yeah, it was Halloween, so two years. Well, nevertheless, two years of me going, hmm? nevertheless, quite the accomplishment. Um, and and to you, do seventeen years? I'm not seventeen yet, and January <laughs> will be seventeen years. I. It's kind of like you know how women you're not supposed to say their age because they don't want to. Okay. You know, it's kind of rude. I kind of feel that way about this podcast. Just don't remind me of how many years of my life I've wasted. Nearly 20, okay. Yeah, nearly two <laughs> decades. There have been children that are like going to college as old as this podcast. This podcast could go to college now, almost. Yeah, you've you've like been with people from like the start of their lives and like they're flourishing and you've just been there. I know, and it's amazing after all this time, we almost have 200 patrons. Hey! So I'm really riding that rocket. Thank you everybody for keeping this show going. It's, it's awesome. For as long as you have. Yeah. It's, it's, you really, really encourage me to keep on doing it every week. You know what else is uh, encouraging me to keep on doing it every week? What? Is my disagreeable cat and my problematic <laughs> relationship I have with him. You know, this, I'm actually in a, I'm just in a mood. I'm in a mood. I'm a little hungover. Um, my car died today. Battery died. Had to deal with that. And then on top of it all, my cat is a fucking cunt. I like I love all animals. I'm I'm not a natural vegetarian slash pescatarian like you. Like you stopped eating meat because you think it's gross. Whereas I took the moral decision to stop eating meat because I I actually don't think you can sit there and say I love animals and still eat them. Like I love fucking animals so much and I find delight in all of them. So I choose not to eat them. I would fucking eat Caliban. <laughs> you would eat him? I wouldn't eat him. Oh, he's so annoying. He's not like a regular cat. He's like, there's there's just something a bit wrong with him. Like, I think he maybe got dropped on his head when he was like, when he came out of his bald mother's vagina. Well, you know, at the risk of sounding crass, I was trying to think of another word to describe that cat, but I can't really think of a better term than cunt because that cat is just, he is a, he's a cunt. He, he really is. If, if he was at school, any type of school, this cat is being bullied by any of everyone else would pick on him because he is a bit of a cunt. Oh, he's the worst. You know, 
I've never, I've realized this now because I've been really analyzing my relationship with Caliban, <laughs> my son. I have a, uh, my, my, I've been coping with these behavioral issues with my son for quite some time now. But I got to say, definitely leading up to your visit here a couple weeks ago, during your visit and since you've left, it's gotten much worse. I'd say exponentially worse. I think um, this is the word. This visit, he was way more cuntish than he was last time. Last time, I thought he was a bit sweet, and I was like, "Oh, like I, I can see why. Like he's not too bad." But this visit, I was like, "He's a cunt." Oh, he's the worst animal I think I've ever owned. Um, so just a little bit of history. When I got Hecubus, that was the first Sphinx I ever owned and uh, ever bought, and that cat was amazing. We were very bonded. He was like my familiar. I could go. Any room with Hecubus, he was he was following following me. If I was sitting there, you know, doing work, typing, whatever, Hecubus wasn't bothering me. He would just want to sit next to me on his pillow and just kind of chill, just because he liked being around me, enjoyed my company. Was, I, I enjoyed his company. He you was know, your chichi. Yeah, we would listen to like doom metal and get really stoned. He loved smoking weed. Too. Well, he loved inhaling weed. He would like lift it, <laughs> lift up his head and just like you know inhale the weed. And so we would sit there and just like get stoned, listen to doom metal. He was great. Of course, that cat has to die prematurely. Well, and what I'm I'm stuck with is his brother, whom I remember. I remember this quite clearly. I wanted to get Hecubus a brother because. It was my ex who was like, you know, you really, sphinxes are social creatures. You should have two. You should have two cats. Like, you should get another one. So I was like, all right, I'm going to do this. I don't think Hecubus even wanted a brother. I really don't think. He was think, fine. I mean, yeah, I think he was fine. I think he was like a, he was a solitary, he was a solitary cat. Like, I think he liked just kind of hanging out with his human and having his own domain. But Chi-Chi. I don't know. Yeah, Chi-Chi's kind of like that. Um, he's definitely like that. And so I ended up getting Caliban, and I don't think Hecubus ever really liked Caliban, but Caliban loved Hecubus. He loved Hecubus, followed Hecubus everywhere he went, and was just of an annoying uh, annoying of a cunt to Hecubus as he is to me. And the thing is, like when I, when I went to the breeder, I wanted a black cat, but they didn't have any. And she's like, I don't know if I'm going to get one, but I have this really cute white one. And my ex was like, oh, my God, the white one's there so much cooler you should get the white one and she like really pushed it and kind of convinced me and when i remember checking that cat out and i didn't really want him because i didn't want a white cat but i was like looking at him he was kind of cute you know whatever wouldn't shut up just the whole time like crying and and so i asked the breeder i was like so is this is this is this cat like a very vocal like is it's a very vocal one or i mean or is this going to eventually temper like it's going to die down he's going to be a little more calm and she's like oh yeah you know they're very vocal when they're young She's like, but as soon as he like, you know, gets to be a few years old, it's like, you know, he'll only cry when he wants something. <laughs> Which is all the time because he's a pedigree cat and they all cry all the time. Yeah, fuck that. That cat cries all the time. 24 hours a day. If that cat's not sleeping, he's whining. And it's not just a meow. It's not like a really it's cute a little meow meow, like a little a little, you know, um agreeable little purr meow. Yeah. It's not like that. It's a yowl. It's a yowl. Yeah. Try I, like, I call Chi Chi. Oh, when a hangover to that sound. Yeah. Even I was shouting at him. Oh, you were screaming at him. I and was not it, screaming at him. It sounds too, like. You were like, fuck off, Caliban. Oh, yeah. I would get to the swearing stage of him because, like, the, this is the thing about Caliban. He is a very sweet creature at heart. There's not a bad, like, he's not a bad cat. Like, you know, you, you can oh, walk past mean. him. He's never going to strike you. Yeah. No. He's not mean. He would never hurt you. But. 
He's a little fucking cunt. Like, he's... what are you crying for? What do you want? It is totally a pedigree cat thing, but it's... Chi-Chi has a lovely, beautiful meow. I call him girly meow. Because um, he's like, he just sits there and goes, meow. It's like, like, I can listen to that. Yeah, his meow is, it's quiet. And it's like, you know, almost soothing, I would say. And his pedo purrs, he like purrs he's... like a pedophile would. And I think it's like, yeah, and it's, it's not, a, you know, it's not an annoying sound. It's not a harsh, piercing sound. Like what Caliban does is a shrill, piercing sound. And he does it when he wakes up and he wants you to feed him. I understand that. I'll get up, even though I'll be angry, I'll get up and I'll feed him. And you'd think, <laughs> you've just been satiated. Now he's going to go to bed. It doesn't work like that. He will keep doing it. He will circle the bed doing it until you get up and scream at him. Because I think even negative attention is attention for that cat. It's, yeah, completely. Yeah. Sphinxes are like that, though. They want attention. And I think he's very lonely being by himself because he doesn't necessarily want the attention of a human. That doesn't satiate him. Well, he wants the attention of like 200 other cats. He wants to be part of a pack because they are social animals. People forget that cats I, are social. Yeah, cats are social creatures. And I don't think all Sphinxes are like this. I think Caliban is like this because Caliban's a cunt. I don't think all <laughs> Sphinxes are cunts granted I've only had two I've had one really cool one and I've had one really shitty one so I'd have to get another one to really uh you know, even determine that <laughs> yeah but like that's the thing with Caliban it's like he'll sit here pacing around the room crying and yowling and all this and you're just like sitting on a couch and you pick him up like come on just chill with me he won't chill he doesn't yeah. want to chill he doesn't want he doesn't want attention I don't know what he wants that cat he wants 200 of a cat. He wants to basically, I think Caliban was so happy living in like a commune where there's like 50 dirty hippies and there's like just all these cats wandering in and out. That's, I think, his dream. Like, I, think I just feel happy here with everyone. I don't even know if he'd be me. happy. I don't think he'd even be happy with that because he'll go over to uh, the lessers down the hall that have two cats. And he'll be fine, you know, while he's entertained for about maybe 20 minutes. Maybe it's ADHD. I'm not sure. But she said like within 30 or 40 minutes, he's at the front door yowling like he does here. So I, th I think the cat just all around is a cunt. And so, if he does have the ADHD, yeah, I wonder if you can get like Ritalin for cats. Well, maybe, but anyway, the re so lately, especially since you've left, it's been really bad. And you know, I'll like scream at him and then he'll run away and then he'll be quiet for like 20 minutes and then start up again. It's really, it's really difficult, especially when I'm working from home. And not only the other day, I was leaving for work, leaving for work. And, you know, I lock up the door. This is like, you know, 8, 8.15 in the morning. And I could hear him down the hall crying, like yelling in, in my apartment. And I was like, what the fuck? And so that day when I came home from work, I saw my neighbor's guy lives down the hall. And he was just like, is that your cat that's making all that noise? And I was Shit. like, yeah, you know, I don't know if he, he, I don't know how often he does it. But, you know, sometimes I'll hear him when I'm leaving work. He goes all the time. I hear it all the time. And so Holy shit. I know now I'm concerned because he might actually say something to my landlord and it's becoming an actual problem. Well, see, I'm surprised if that was me in that position and I like didn't know you and I heard because the noise he makes, I'd be like, he that animal is being abused. I would have like totally snitched to the RSPCA by now. So that well, could happen. I don't he think it's report. like terrified shrieks. It's just kind of like this yell like this, like I, it does sound like he's in distress. 
You know, that's it's, what it I mean. Like I'd be like, that animal is something. being abused in there. But he's not. He's just a cunt. And it's hard to explain <laughs> he's a cunt. that. You know, I tried to explain that to my neighbor. I was like, oh, my cat is a cunt. You know, and that's why he acts like that. But he didn't understand. You know, the other day I also asked, uh, you know, the uh, the lizard that lived down the hall. I was like, can you ever hear him? And they're like, well, not in my apartment. She's like, but I'll, you know, be locking the door to my place. You know, I'm about to leave and I can hear him. So that means Mental. he projects all the way down to the other side of the fucking building. It's becoming an issue. Furthermore, it's not just the yelling. <laughs> Furthermore, do you recall people who've listened to this show might remember when I was saying how he's been pissing? I thought it was I thought he was ejaculating on my blankets on my couch. That was a big thing. Yeah, he wasn't ejaculating. It was urine. It was definitely urine. And I don't have the greatest sense of smell, so I wasn't able to detect it. And so since then, I've been covering up my couch and uh, that that behavior stopped. I've, I've curbed that. He doesn't really do that anymore. And the whole time you were here, we didn't even keep the couch covered and he wasn't doing that anymore. Yeah. But his new thing is the dirty protest. This is his <laughs> just... new thing. And I actually, I think it enrages me more than the urine on the blankets. So his new thing to do is he likes to shit on my shag rug. And he's not, he's not shitting because his litter box is filled, like filled with shit or, you know, is full. He's not shitting because his litter box is full. He's shitting because he knows it's going to piss me off. He's doing it for attention. It's a dirty protest. You say this like cats have the capacity in their brain to form like malice or revenge plans, but they don't. I mean, they just have a tiny little walnut brain. Oh, you think that, but they do. <laughs> I know that. No, they do. It, this, is, this is the reason. So the other day, I come home. I'm like, I'm packing my groceries and all this. And I look over and I see him kind of like scratching like he would in a litter box, but over like in front of my couch, like on the shag carpet. I'm like, what the fuck? And I go over there. Sure enough fresh turd and it wasn't like diarrhea it was like a real solid turd like but a fresh turd and right. on top of that turd he had pulled one of my socks so he had pulled the sock out of my clean laundry because i had just done my laundry and it was like sitting on my in my hamper he had pulled it out of the hamper and put it on top of the turd <laughs> that that's sending a clear message of warning to you Papa, that's what i'm saying i it's think you're addictive. a piece of shit Oh, no, it's vindictive. He's like, oh, you're going to ignore me? Or are you going to ignore my shit <laughs> with your sock on it? No, he's a fucking <laughs> asshole. So anyway, I'm at wit's end with that cat, you know? I didn't know what to do. So I turned to Jackson Galaxy for help. The one man who can help. He's a, he's a, you know, a cat therapist. I mean, I've gone out of options. I play with the cat. I buy him treats. I do all sorts, you know, I do as much as I can to try to curb this behavior. You know, I was, I'm not willing to try what you suggested. I'm not going to do that. Don't even say I suggested you this. Did. Don't you, you put that into the atmosphere. You I never brought once brought up. it up and now you're trying to turn the tables. You... I am against this idea. Everyone listening, I never said that I wanted this as a okay. thing. We were sitting there, and you suggested that I could get him devocalized. I never said that. And I said that if you ever got him devocalized, I'm taking that cat, and he's going back to your ex because it's animal cruelty. Well, first of all, I never even knew that that procedure existed till you told me about it, <laughs> and I realized like I wouldn't be able to do that. You know, I don't think I'm I'm too compassionate for animals. Like ethically, I don't I I, I couldn't do that. Not to mention, I had a very difficult time finding a doctor who'd be willing to do the procedure. 
Yeah, is, that, this is, is that in England? Is that something you just go down the street to Sainsbury's to do? No, I th- but I think it's probably the same thing as like you're not supposed to dock um, dogs' tails or their ears, but people fucking do it. It's probably a thing that people will do. You'll find somebody who you can pay to fucking do it. Oh, it's an awful, it's, a, it's an abhorrent procedure. Why like, was, would you ever do it? I, I was reading about it like with dogs, like they literally like reach in their mouth and just rip out the, the vocal cords. Oh. It's terrible. It's terrible. Um, I don't think there's a doctor in California that'd be willing to do that. Well, you'd um, hope not. Yeah, but it is funny to ask them. You, you should record those conversations. <laughs> um, anyway, I reached out to Jackson Galaxy for help. I emailed him. I, uh, you know, wrote, you know, a very um, touching description of the problems I'm facing with my son. And uh, this is what I received from Chandler, his assistant. Oh. D, thanks for reaching out. Our sincerest apologies. Due to Jackson's hectic schedule, he's unavailable to personally respond to your individual cat issue questions. But good news. Here's some videos uh, which will provide guidance and solutions to common cat problems. So they sent me a link. Yeah, of course they did. But I wouldn't say it's a common cat problem. I actually don't think he's done a video about sphinxes, like specifically about sphinxes. Eat a dick, Chandler. I think I think if you you know Jackson has a show you think he would like have this this unique animal on his show when it's a very you know how many yeah he doesn't have any videos on sphinxes there should be a person who goes around like because I know it's a problem with the Siamese the Siamese honk like the cats and the Burmese are very vocal in fact the Burmese go so far as to like they're kind of like mini dogs and they have like a barking meow so it is a pedigree cat thing he should totally do a video about it well, I looked at one of the videos that Chandler sent me um, was a video about uh, your chatty cat, like how to stop your cat from incessant meowing. So, yeah, you're right. He gave uh, Jackson Galaxy went through and gave several reasons why this happened. So one, the first one is breed, oriental breeds in particular. So Siamese are the chattiest of all breeds. They just like to hear themselves speak and uh, Burmese as well. Sphinxes are up there, but he didn't mention sphinxes per se, but. Obviously, they're they're definitely a vocal breed, but there's nothing you can do about that. That's just part of the breed. Yes. Um, number two is physical or medical issues, and that's if you know if the cat didn't meow beforehand, but suddenly they're meowing, you know, very frequently, then there could be an underlying medical issue, um, or the cat could be in heat, or like there's a cognitive dysfunction going on. Caliban's fine. He's eating he fine. He's playing fine. He, there, there's no medical issue going on there. You know, so I wouldn't say I kind of ruled that one out. Um, number three, changes in the environment. So if you move to a new flat or if you get a new significant other, that can cause issues. So I would say Caliban's behavioral issues definitely coincided with me moving into the smaller apartment without an, like he, you know, had a cat brother beforehand like another cat companion which he doesn't have here so i think, I think that definitely it. is a part of it um number four boredom yeah he's bored yeah he's also one of those cats that just won't entertain himself like chi 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 will play with a rolled up piece of paper on the ground if he wants to yeah and he sits out the window and he like yeah. bird watches chi chi doesn't in fact, Chi Chi doesn't like toys. I don't have to play with toys with Chi Chi. Like, I'll chuck the rolled up receipt at him. He likes that. 
but and we play hunt the cunt together but other than that he's just like uh chi chi's a baby angel what can i say i really looked out with my cat when i got him and we're very bonded he's a good boy chi chi also will like chill next to you like he, he's fine just kind of being oh, he chills you know, on top within of your presence you know calvin is yeah. not like that so calvin's definitely bored number five attention sinking and yes. in particular separation anxiety so i've noticed yes. that yes. with that with this cat you know when i'm in bed he's sleeping right next to me like he likes to sleep next to me and we'll sit there and like not really cuddling next to me but he'll sleep next to my like knee or my thigh or something but if i get out of bed he's up crying because I'm doing something that doesn't involve him. Yeah. And when I leave to go to work and I'm, you know, uh, in the morning, he's at the door crying. So there's definitely a little bit of that separation anxiety, but also the attention seeking. And that's the other thing too. You reinforce negative behavior by like, you know, when I come home, he's immediately crying, crying, excited to see me. And then I'll give him like a treat or I'll give him food. And I think I'm reinforcing that behavior. Because he's been crying all the time. It, Jackson Galaxy says the way to, to stop it is uh, to reward, like if they're quiet, you, you want to reward the silence, but you got to ignore the meows. We tried that. Didn't we try that we when did. you were here? Oh, yeah, we were trying that, but you get to the point where it because it, it, it's the yowling and it's the pacing. It's kind of nearly like, you know, when you go to a really shit zoo and there's like a tiger trapped in the cage and it's just pacing back and forth. That's what Calaman does. He just paces. He paces back and forth and takes a shit on a shag rug. Try cleaning (laughs) shit out of a shag rug. You know? Nobody's said that phrase since the 1970s. (laughs) After an orgy. The final reason that your cat might be uh, over-vocalizing is no reason whatsoever. It's just the cat. That's the cat that you have. So I think I've hit like a number of these reasons. I think you're on all of those reasons. Well, except for the physical or medical issues. I think I'm all the other, all the other reasons. I think I kind of uh, fulfill. But my personal armchair, you know, um, diagnosis here is that cat has anxiety. And I think I want to get him kitty Xanax. Yeah, or some kitty Ritalin. You could even probably take the kitty Ritalin yourself, I bet. I'm getting a little it- buzz going on. There's Kitty Xanax. It's called Alprazolam. So I'm going to, I've already called and I got an appointment for the vet. I'm going to take him to the vet. I'm going to explain to them what's going on. I think he needs, yeah, he needs a sedative. I'm going to be, I'm going to be like one of those moms with like, a, you know, an ADHD kid and just like, just feeding them tons of drugs. So they just sit there and stare at the wall. <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's what, what I want. Be like. Yeah, no, it'd be great. He could just sit next to me. I'll just pick oh him up, gosh. put him on the chair, and he'll just sit there just staring, a little bit of drool coming out of his mouth. But you know what? He won't be yowling. He won't be shitting on my <laughs> fucking shag carpet. I bet he yowls. I bet it just nothing stops it because that's who he is. You know, I don't know. I was reading about this. So what it... Uh, Alprazolam, I can't say the word, is a benzodiazepam. And what it does, it enhances the effects of natural chemicals in the brain, resulting in a calming-like effect on the animal. And it's a good way to control their anxiety. And you just put drops in their food. However, there are side effects. Some of the side effects <laughs> oh with God. cats is, it, is there's an increase in affection. That could get oh. annoying, but I could live with that. Very strange behavior. (laughs) That's what they don't explain what that means, but it just says very strange behavior. Oh, wow. Yeah, I don't know what that means. Irritability, 
and possibly an increase in depression. Well, oh my, so yeah, you are going to become like a soccer mom where it's like, my kid's on six different types of medication and this is to counter affect these. Uh, and this is because of his depression. You're going to be like that, just doling out the drugs to him. Because cats do get depressed. It's a thing. That's what I'm thinking. You know, I don't know. If I can't stop him from yelling and crying you know, every two seconds, I'm going to become like a spree murderer or something. Yeah, and I think it is like he does need something for his anxiety, definitely. If he's like spending eight hours a day crying, it's it's not right for him. He's unhappy. Would you be surprised if it came out like five years from now that Jackson Galaxy is a serial killer? No. <laughs> he kind of looks like one, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. And I would love it if like the internet's biggest cat dad turned out to be like a ruthless rapist and murderer. Chandler could be his first victim. Just like hog tying people, hanging them from the hanging them from the rafters. Call me cat daddy. <laughs> yes. Call me cat daddy. Now I want to watch you shit in that goddamn litter box. <laughs> That's I'm... while Chandler was sending out that uh, email to you. He was actually shitting in the litter box, <laughs> and he was just sitting there, you know, furiously wanking. <laughs> yeah, that's their relationship. <laughs> Anyway, that's my segue. This week, we're going to talk about serial killers and murderers who were loving pet owners. Because, you know, yeah. some people are the epitome of evil. But even those people have a special place in their heart for animals. You yeah. Know, for their pets. You know, I would say loving pet owners, that might be a misplaced adjective here. But we'll see. We'll get to that yeah. in one minute. Um, before all that, though, let's talk about the Patreon. The Patreon. That's the lifeline of sick and wrong. That's what keeps the show going. And honestly, we do need you to support us on Patreon. It's been, it's, it's been a rough few months. It's been a rough year, though. I understand that. Sure, but if you do, you know, have a couple extra dollars and you want to, like, get a little bit, get a little bit of something extra from this show, sign up for Patreon. We're doing a lot more than I think we've ever done before on the show. But we also do a lot more on Patreon than I think most podcasts do. Yeah, most podcasts are like, join our Patreon and you'll get 20% off merch. I'm sorry, that's not a fucking perk. Getting 20% off your merch, which I can wear. That's not a perk. I want like an extra show. And I don't consider an extra show without adverts being a perk either. Like you should get that anyways. I've noticed like a lot of these other shows will just like, they won't do an extra show. What they'll do is they'll just do the regular show just without ads. And that and and you get 20% off. You know, we don't do that. We, we do a regular show every week, but then we also do a whole second show, you know, uh, every week that comes out the same time as the regular show. Not to mention, you know, we do a bonus overkill episode and then we do just kind of like, you know, we have our archives. We have a bunch of other stuff going on there. But I mean, seriously, if you if you've been listening to this show for a long time and you like what we do and you want to keep us, you want to keep it going. I mean, it's been almost 17 years, for fuck's sake. Yeah. Um, just give us a few bucks a month. It's only like $5 a month, and you're directly helping us uh, keep it going. And at the $5 level, you do get access to the second show. Uh, this week was good. Um, you know, we chat about... Uh, so last night, I went to... Ryan Keeley was a guest, was a guest on this talk show at, uh, at the Alamo Draft House downtown L.A., that was funny. Went to that. Also, my friend Lenora just did a TV show on a new, a new sex club in New York City called NSFW. We get into that. And then uh, we also talk about um, an Indian hallucinogen 
that I did last weekend called Bang. Um, with with uh, my my Indian friend who looks a lot like Mr. Bean. Oh my god! Um, he's and then finally, cool. we do a, a great true crime sto- uh, story here. Came in about a New Mexico woman who was killed with a sword, and a couple that was charged with murder amid claims of a secret society. Yeah, uh, second show is a bit more personal. Um, you know, we we don't have time to chat about everything going on in our lives in the main show because we want to get through, you know, a topic. It's a bit more structured. But second show is where we do that. So sign up today. $5 a month is all it is. For a few bucks more, you get access to Sick and Wrong Archives as well as uh, our bonus episode, Sick and Wrong Overkill. Patreon.com slash sick and wrong. Um, help us keep the show going. Anyway, here's a quick promo that we're hoping will get you to sign up for the Patreon. And then let's chat about murderers and their beloved pets. Hi, guys. Stuart here. I'm just calling in to get this off my chest. All you listeners out there, why are you not signing up for the Patreon? Seriously, these two fine people do the show next to having a regular job. and You don't feel the need to support them. So sign up to the Patreon today. You're not helping a Jew through college, but through his midlife crisis. And Kate is packing her shit to live in California. Both of these things are not cheap. They give so much and ask for so little. So do it now and keep the show going. Dee and Kate, you're doing a great job. Love you guys. Stuart out. So Dee, you know the trope. I know the trope. We all walk the tightrope of trope. Um, psychological research has long since pointed to animal abuse in childhood as being an early warning sign. It's a red flag that later on the child will go up to be a juvenile delinquent. There'll be a hood, there'll be a rough, and they may stray down the path into murder. This is a complete bona fide fact. Most children who abuse animals have either witnessed abuse or they've been at the receiving end of it themselves. Over time, this can become a more focus-based cruelty because of like peer pressure, motivation, and sometimes it's even because of just simple animal phobias. Like I had this friend, Paul, who his younger brother used to collect lizards, all different types of lizards. And he would deliberately, because he was scared of all the lizards, on like the first day they would arrive, would just jam his hands in the, uh, in the cages and let the lizards bite him. So then he'd be like, I'm not scared because I know how much, like, I know how your bites feel. So then he felt more comfortable around them. It's weird, but I yeah, get that's it. That's mental. I think part of it is just the the domination aspect. You have something that's helpless. Right. And you're in total control. And that's what a lot of, you know, a lot of serial killers get off on that. Yeah. So, for example, we have the very sexy Albert DeSalvo. You can actually, one of my favorite serial killer songs is Albert, Albert uh, by The Bugs. I know that cool old punk rocker Tommy. He'll dig that if he doesn't already know it. Albert DeSalvo killed 13 women. He tied pretty bows around their necks. Um, But he spent his childhood shooting arrows through dogs and cats that he had trapped. This was life for the internet. There wasn't much to do. Harsh. But... There's plenty of other sexy serial killers out there that not only loved animals, but kept them as pets and loved them more than they loved people. And today, in episode 869, dudes, we're going to talk about these good boys and girls of history's worst. So we're going to get the two big hitters, Hitlers, out of the way first. Uh, Dennis Nielsen, he had his cross-bred uh, border collie uh, bleep, and Hitler and his German shepherd Blondie. And all of these people are going to meet tragic-ish ends. Well, people and their pets, People and their pets, yeah. 
Dennis took the lives of at least 12 men. And although I tried to catfish him, it was a dog called Bleep that stole his heart. She was adopted around the time he began his relationship with uh, David Dal- uh, David Gallican, and they called her Bleep because of the noises that she made. She's also in their home videos, too. I think it wasn't Bleep because she sounded like her barks were like uh, like high-pitched squeaking sounds. Isn't that adorable? Could you imagine how annoying that would be? No, it's so cute. What you talk about? I'd have to hear it. It couldn't be any worse, though, than what I have to deal with on a regular basis. All these animals we're going to mention are good boys and girls compared to Caliban. So Dennis, (laughs) who was raping, strangling, and uh, stashing the bodies of all the young dudes, he was actually a super good dog dad for the most part. After Den had done his deed, he would walk bleep daily. He would feed her. He would love her. In eight years, that dog knew unconditional love, but was also witness to murder, rapes, necrophilia, um, dissection, and she got used to the smell of bodies burning. Uh, Des said, when I was on my high, Bleep would sometimes become frightened. She was only a simple dog, but even she could see that it was not the real Des Nielsen. She would go off to a quiet corner and she would hide. She would greet me the next morning as though I had been away. Dogs know when your mind has been changed in a drastic way. It's like a Jekyll and Hyde type of scenario. So you don't think he locked her in another room when he was doing the raping and murdering? I think he did sometimes, but other times he would just be in the zone, wouldn't he? And he would just wouldn't care. I don't even like masturbating in front of my animal. Like, if that's one thing about, like, I'll, uh, you know, at the end of the night, I got to go to bed. And I'm like, you know, I'll have a quick wank. And I'll be about to wank, and then I'll hear just out of the corner, and he wakes up and Caliban runs over here and like I can't I what can't doing, wank. I can't wank with an animal in the room that's watching me. So I'm amazed that he's able to like sodomize and murder young men with like the dog just right there. I I would feel terrible. Yeah. I mean, Bleep is definitely an unforgotten victim of Dennis Nielsen. But we do know that on one occasion, she actually saved uh, one of his victims. She licked Carl Stotter's face until he woke up. And then Dennis invented a cover story that the zip on the sleeping bag had tried to actually strangle the young man. (laughs) Whatever. Very plausible. Bleep saved the 21-year-old's life. But Dennis couldn't save hers. And Bleep is regarded as his final innocent victim. Bleep, who was taken in when Dennis was arrested, she was wrongly identified as Blip because the London Popo couldn't understand de- Dennis's native tongue of Scottish. And she was sent to Battersea Dog's home. And during this time, when Dennis was spilling the beans, he was very vocal that he wanted Bleep to be taken care of. But he probably didn't mean it in the Sopranos Goodfellows way because the eight-year-old was put to sleep three weeks after Aww. his arrest on the 9th of February, 1983. On March the 5th, 1983, the dog's home claimed that she had pined to death. But I actually think that's just a convenient excuse, kind of like cot death. Well, I also read that the police thought that no one would want to adopt her because she belonged to Dennis Nilsson, which I think, like, if you were at an adoption agency, like, and they're like, oh, yeah, Des Nilsson owned this dog previously, wouldn't you be like, oh, I'll take that one? Yeah, and she's such a sweetheart of a dog as well. Like, you can just see in pictures that dog has seen. She's got, like, you know, that kind of, like, Vietnam War vet glaze about her. You'd be like, come on home with me. Come on, love. Yeah, would that be great to tell people, like, oh, yeah, this is Des Nilsson's dog. The things she's seen. The things she smelt. This dog, she probably had a little chow down herself. I mean, I would imagine. 
Dennis was devastated when he heard the news saying, I'm ashamed that her last days should be so painful. She had always forgiven me everything and nothing but me could ever break her heart. She never let me down, but in the moment of her greatest crisis, I was not there. So that's pretty big talk, Des, but let's not talk about the emotional scars on that dog who would routinely hide whilst you killed, shagged and chopped up dead people. So Bleep in some ways was in a better place more than a cramped, disgusting, smelling fart of 23 Cranley Gardens in Muswell Hill. Didn't he bury people like in the floorboards? Yeah, he would bury them and then he would take them out. He would lie in bed with them and like shag them until they got too far gone. So I'm surprised that dog wasn't like, you know, ripping up the floorboards to get a bone, you know? And I like, think I think he shouted at that dog him. a lot. Oh, okay. You think he screamed at the dog? Like, don't, I go, mean, near the dog... the, don't go near the corpses. Yeah, but in Scottish, not Jewish. <laughs> <laughs> Fun fact, though, during his years when he was banged up, he not only had a little black and white cell cap bopping about the place, he also kept two budgies, one named Hamish, and one named Tweetles. It's a great name for a bird. Tweetles is like the cutest name. He really knew how to name his pets. Tweetles. I'm amazed they let him keep two budgies in prison. I think that was the... This, I don't think they would now. But I'd be so paranoid that another um, prisoner would come in there and just like snap an ex. Wouldn't you? Yeah, I'd be worried about her my cellmate or something. Yeah, so, well, he definitely didn't have a cellmate. He's too high profile. So the next famous dog dad, for those that weren't paying attention, is Hitler and his many treasured dogs. The most famous, of course, being Blondie. He loved his Alsatians at Hitler. Oh, we're going to get into the Alsatians a bit. So Hitler had dogs for most of his life. And I'm not talking about Ava here. He, in fact, kept such good care of his Huns that when he rehomed his first German Hepard named Prince due to the fact he was poor as fucks after World War I, Prince kept breaking away from his new home and coming back to find Hitler. So he must have been a good dog dad. Other dogs of the Fuhrer include Fuchsie. She was, uh, he was a white fox terrier that Hitler had found as a stray. He nurtured and raised him during World War I, and he was reported as being highly distressed and distraught when he went missing during a trench bombing. He said, how many times as Fromels during the First World War I studied my dog? I used to watch him as if he'd been a man. It was crazy how fond I was of the beast. <laughs> Did he draw really shitty portraits of uh, young Fushi? <laughs> no, by that point, his uh, dreams of art school had been dashed. Oh. So I imagine he never put pen to paper again. Watercolor to paper. Uh, we talk about German Shepherds a lot. They're both our favorite breed of dog. Um, and anyone who's ever been around German Shepherds know that they are the best dogs for a reason. They're the goodest of boys, and that's probably why, after Prince, Hitler became invested in the breed, and also because they're German. I mean, it fits his uh, ascetic, as the kids say. What's what's a more German breed, a Rottweiler or a German Shepherd? Definitely a German Shepherd. I mean, the reputation across the seas of German Shepherd was so damaged during World War II, you Americans have to rename them as Alsatians. No, no, Alsatian's not an American thing. I thought it was an American no, no, thing. Well, too. Thing. And oh, you know, is it because of us? <laughs> yeah, no, I think it's a Euro. I don't know if it's a British thing, but it's definitely a European thing. So when I was in South Africa, my childhood dog was an Alsatian named Benji, and I was Good very, boy, very close to Benji. He was a he was a great dog. I had him pretty much like throughout. I think he throughout my throughout South Africa, but then also in uh, high school and college, we brought him to 
brought him to Michigan, actually. But he was an Alsatian. And Alsatians are bigger than a German Shepherd. Like, he was a big fucking dog. That he dog probably weighed racist. about 150 pounds. He was, he was, he was racist. He was racist. <laughs> they, they, <laughs> in South Africa, they would train dogs to, uh, yeah, they, to uh, be very vicious. Yeah. Good old Benji. Uh, so Jemashefes are known as the Jemanski or Hund, meaning being close to a wolf, and they're the it dog of Nazi era. Max van Stefans, he was the developer of the German Shepherd, like he started really concentrating on building out the pedigree. And he said, they are creatures of pure blood, where by proper breeding, all unevenness has been eliminated. They far surpass all mongrels. That is true, though, because I remember Benji... We had, when we got him, we had his papers, and they went back like, I don't know, eight generations of Alsatians to like where he, and I was, I was stunned. I was like, I can't believe you'd have the genealogy of this German shepherd printed out on papers, but you have to do that in order to prove yeah. his lineage. I think they have to do that for like, uh, we had a, I would, we had a German, uh, German shepherd. We had a Springer Spaniel growing up and he was a pedigree. You'd never know it to look at him though, because he was nearly all black which is kind of rare for a spring spaniel, but his generations went back. Yonks. He was a bit of a shithead of a dog, though. He was very moody. Mm. He wasn't a good boy. He was a good boy, but he wasn't a good boy. So, Boira Sachs in the books, in the book, Animals in the Third Reich, Pets, Scapegoats, and the Hell or Holocaust, I want this book just for the title alone, said, this dog was intended to embody the virtues of the German people, and its inception clearly anticipated the Nazi attempts to breed human beings back to a primeval Aryan stock. So it's kind of like mirroring what's going on yep. at the same time. An uh, Ubermensch, Uber, Uberhund. Uberhund and Ubermensch. So Mukul was his next dog, uh, born in 1928, and she was the mother of Blonda in 1930. Bella was another German shepherd. They bought Bella to keep the old dog's company in 1942. And of course, here comes the famous and most beloved Blondie, who was a beautiful and intelligent pedigree, and Hitler said, almost human. Martin Barman, we covered his sex life in episode 840. He had gifted the pup to his boss in 1941, and she would be Hitler's constant companion, even after his move to the Führerbunker in January of 45. The joke amongst the inner circle was that he loved the dog more than Ava, and he would publicly demonstrate that love by kissing and hugging her and playing tricks. That was with Blondie, not Ava. And he would also publicly hit her for any disobedience. Ava, not Blondie. That's jokes. He would hit Blondie. With a whip as well, he would whip Blondie. Yeah, he was brutal. He was brutal with Blondie, and he would punish for disobedience. But immediately after doing that and leaving the dog whimpering, he would go back to fawning over her as if nothing happened. This kind of reminds me of you and Calvin. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, I don't brutally whip Calvin. I do scream at him. I scream, you scream? Just, I scream horrible swear words, like things that like you, you heard in the Exorcist film. It's like unholy <laughs> things at that animal. Do you curse his life? I curse everything. I curse his parents. I put a pox on the breeder. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, it's nasty, especially when I'm hungover. Oh, yeah, it's terrible. Ava, she obviously disliked all the attention that Blondie got. She preferred her two Scottish terriers that Hitler had gifted her. Hitler had named them Nigus and Stashi. Ava would secretly kick Blondie under the dining table, and she also hated sharing a bed with the, nut, with the mutt. So that shows you everything you need to know about fucking Ava. 
What a dick. <laughs> yeah, what a bitch. That's hilarious, though, that he made her share the bed with him. Do you think Blondie watched when he was uh, hitting Ava doggy style? I think uh, Hitler would be looking at the dog square in the eye <laughs> for every horrible moment that he had to shag her because he didn't really like Ava. She was just there. In March or early April of 45, uh, Blondie, not Ava, she had a litter of pups uh, with the dog of high-ranking Nazi-style king Paul Ludwig Trust. It was actually his wife's dogs, Harris, that sired the pups. His wife um, was a Gerhardine Gerdy, uh, or Gerdy Trust. She was a fully-fledged member of the Nazi party. She was an architect, interior designer, and decorator. Paul Trust was also an architect, and his house de Kunst, Kunst? His house, the Kunst, was finished construction in 1937, and it was Nazi Germany's first monumental structure. And it's still there in Munich. It's now a non-collecting uh, art gallery for those that like dark tourism and want to go and see something Nazi. Paul died at the age of 55 in January of 34. His gravestone, also still there if you want to go and visit it. And his widow, Gerdy, carried on in his Nazi honor. And she also helped supervise and helped build the construction of the house, the Kunst. I love it. House. I want to, when we move into our own little flat, can we just get a plaque outside that said, House de Kunst? Maybe uh, switch the T in the S. <laughs> So I know this isn't a Nazi episode, but we're just going to do one last fact about Gertie before we go back to Blondie. So during denazification, she was actually deemed as less responsible, despite the fact she was part of the inner circle. And she remained friends with members of the inner circle after the war. She resumed her work. She lived in Upper Bavaria and she died at the age of 98 on January the 30th, 2003. When I read that, I was like, oh, she died in 2003. That, I was like, that really wasn't too long ago. It's 20 fucking years ago. I still think like the early 2000s was last week. Don't you? I like how she was deemed as less responsible too. Despite the fact she helped like architect. Although um, Troost wasn't the favorite architect of Nazi Germany, that was Albert Speer. He designed a lot for Hitler and came up with tons of early stuff. And so did she. And she would furnish out all the apartments for everyone. Hmm. So she's more than less responsible. And she was also still a Nazi, basically, till she died. So Hitler loved these pups. He named one Wolf, and he even began training her. One of the pups was reserved for Ava's sister Gretel, and we talked about her in episode 842. Oh, yeah. So The Downfall, great movie. You've seen Downfall, right? It was a great film. Long, but very good. Uh, was coming. And on April the 29th, 1945, Hitler learned of the gruesome and righteous death of Mussolini by the hands of vengeful Italian partisans. The Soviets, the ones who really saved the day in World War II. Yes, do. They were closing in. You know how I feel about that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you don't like hearing the truth. I know Americans don't. The Russians who actually started the war, as well as won the war, at least uh, defeated the Nazis, with American munitions. But yes, you you can hold on to that. Soviets did it. Yes, and then you guys started a smear campaign immediately afterwards. You can hold on to that. Yeah, because the the Soviets are not with that. You know, they're without any kind of blame. No, no, they were great. Good lads. Good, good lads. By this point, Hitler trusted no one, least of all the snidey and traitorous Himmler, the one who had provided the cyanide capsules to the bunker. In fact, it was also around this time that Hitler famously said, the more I know people, the more I love dogs. 
Hitler's now wanting to kill one blondie with two stones, so he ordered his personal doctor, Werner Hasse, to test one on his beloved blondie. Um, Hitler also had a personal trainer slash vet inside the bunker with him named Fritz Tarnow. He was also the dog handler, obviously, because he's the vet. So Fritz forced open Blondie's mouth as the doctor crushed the vial against her teeth. Fritz began crying. He's completely upset, as did Hitler, who broke down over her death when the cyanide quickly worked its almond-smelling magic. And he is absolutely inconsolable. The next day, April the 30th, Hitler and Ava committed suicide. They did commit suicide. There's no conspiracy. Yeah, I read that uh, Erna Flagel, one of the two survivors from Hitler's Fuhrer bunker, claimed um, in 2005 that the death of Blondie had a bigger impact than the death of Ava on those inside the lair. So I don't think Ava was well-liked by anyone. She wasn't really, but I bet Blondie was. Yeah, I'm sure Blondie, and... who, could, who, who, could, who could hate Blondie? She's a good girl. And for those thinking, what about Wolf and her four sisters? Maybe they made it out of the bunker, right? Please. Well, Fritz Tarnow shot all the puppies in the garden next to the bunker. He also shot Ava's two dogs, and he also shot his own Dachshund, proving that he was indeed worse than Hitler. Just fucking a dog massacre that day. Fritz was captured alive, along with four other living occupants of the bunker, Werner Hasse being one of them. He was taken back to the Soviet Union. He was tortured, for good reason, in the infamous um, Lubyanka prison in Moscow, which is the former KGB HQ, also still standing. He totally deserved it. Yes, he did. He was released back to West Germany in the mid-1950s, settling in the northwest of Germany in Dorsten. Maybe trying to help heal old wounds he ended up working in a dog food factory which still exists today in Gelskirchen. so i actually tried looking for the company there's tons of dog food factories out there i bet the town stings but my germany isn't very my german isn't very good so if there are any locals or if there's anybody who's been to the area listening dm us because it's like part of nazi history in a way I found an old post from his great niece who said that his life ended in great paranoia and conspiracy theories when he died at the end of the 90s. I wonder how old he was. Obviously, He'll have been uh, I mean, I guess he was tortured by the 80s. Russians, but he was never hung, you know, or no. uh, tried for his crimes. Um, I read uh, after the battle in Berlin ended, uh, you know, May 2nd, 1945, the remains of Hitler, Braun, and two dogs uh, were discovered. Uh, one of the dogs um, is thought to be Blondie and her offspring, Wolf. Um, but they were discovered in a shell crater by a unit of the Smersh, S-M-E-R-S-H, the Soviet Counterintelligence Agency. And uh, Blondie was exhumed and then photographed by the Soviets. Yeah, I was looking at these pictures um, of, like, dead Blondie. And it's got to be Blondie. It's so slim because Blondie was one of those very skinny sleek looking German shepherds you know she wasn't fluffy she was sleek and that dog just looks exactly like her she's also got a very wolf-like face and it just looks exactly like her well, did, they, did they at least bury her or did they just leave her in the rubble well, you would have thought that he would have tried to set fire to all of them but maybe after shooting four puppies two dogs and a dachshund he just didn't have it in his heart to like set fire to the corpses maybe just buried them I bet the Russians probably puppies. ate them yeah so we're going to do something a bit closer to home now. We're going to hit the north, as covered in episode 759, which I think was my first official episode, wasn't it? The Mars Murders, Ian and Myra. Yeah, or was that, it was. No, that was my guest episode when I was really hammered. I can't remember. 
That might have been your, yeah, that, that might have been your first official. No, first official was Beasts of Satan. Oh, okay, the Beasts of Satan. That was on Halloween. Oh yeah, yeah the Moore's Murder. Beasts of Satan, good. and now we're doing Beasts of Burden. Oh, how the world turns. So I've read this more than once. People claim that Ian Brady was an animal abuser, and it's actually completely the opposite, right? Ian loved animals. In like a true Nietzsche law, he thought that they were better than people. I agree with him. And when he was growing up, he had three rabbits as pets. He had a big gray named Jenny, a big black called Harry, and he had a small Dutch little cutie called Smokey. He also had dogs. He had another good boy German Shepherd called Una and a cocker spaniel called Sheila, who might have sent Brady down a dark path when he was heartbroken over her death when he was age 10. Sheila's quite a good name for dog, very Scottish. Yeah, like Sheila. Sheila. It's got a good ring to it. Yeah. Oh, well, obviously in Dan Ender, Sheila's just a woman. They also, there's also the famous story that he saw a horse slip and break its legs on the icy streets of the Goebbels in Glasgow. The Goebbels has since been knocked down for a goddamn reason. And the locals erected a tent around like the crying and wailing horse and they put it out of its misery using a horse house brick. So they just took a house brick D and like staved its head in till it died. That was their way of dealing with it. That is tragic, but I bet you that is probably what um push Brady into into murder witnessing something be, like that he's got to be a little few elements of PTSD there yeah Brady said it lay there with its massive sides heaving and its breath steaming in the frosty air I could see the great liquid eyes rolling in terror they were going to kill the horse my chest was bursting and I began to cry I'm with you Brady <laughs> PTSD man Myra also loved animals. She grew up with a collie named Duke that she adored. When Duke was run over and killed her gran, whom she lived with, she immediately placed him with another collie called Lassie, and both of them lavished attention on this new dog. Ian had a dog called Bruce, and together the pair would read the Manchester Evening News, looking for names of those that had been convicted of animal cruelty. And when they found names of people who'd done it, they would go and damage their property, or they would even go so far as to hunt them down and physically assault them on the street. Oh, so a little... they're, they're like vigilantes. Yeah, it's kind of like an admirable if you're going to start a, like a kind of killer couple to go and hunt down people who do this. Like, good for them. Yeah, kind of like uh, animal-loving Dexter. I like yeah. This. Ian and Myra, they were dedicated to their pets. People would be expected to stand up and drink their tea when visiting if the dogs were asleep in the chairs. I get that. That would be my house too. Like, don't disturb the dog. Myra once took her weekly washing to a laundrette near Millwards, and she heard that a dog in Groton had died of malnutrition. And she seethed about it saying, I don't know how people can be so cruel. They ought to be arrested. So this is the same woman that would murder five children. She didn't know how people could be so cruel. (laughs) A lot of hypocrisies with uh, Myra Hindley. In January of 64, Lassie gave birth to a litter of puppies, and one would become the killer couple's favorite, a little puppy that they named Puppet or Picadies. Ian brought Puppet a tartan collar, and Puppet would prove to be an integral part of not only their kind of sick, sadistic love games, but also with the police investigation that followed. They would travel to the moors together to prance on the shallow graves of their murder victims and Ian would snap away photos of Myra and Puppet, a half smile kind of always on her face. There are many iconic pictures of the pair from this time, sometimes with Lassie in the background as well. Yeah, I was going to post one of the famous pictures of her with Puppet on top of uh, someone's grave in the moors. 
yeah, John Kilbride's John grave. John Kilbride's grave, yeah. When the couple were arrested for the murders in October of 65, Myra wrote back to her family friend, Elsie Masterson, asking them to take care of Puppet because we don't want him to be put to sleep as he's only a baby. She also sent money for his upkeep and so did Ian. Took it out the commissary. Yeah, Myra wrote, um, I don't know if it was to Elsie, but she wrote, maybe it was in a journal, that Puppet could nearly talk. He was such an intelligent dog. It got so that we had to spell the word walk, like you had to say W-A-L-K. If they wanted to say it, for the very mention of the word, he would start barking madly and run for his stick. What a good boy. Myra didn't know that Elsie had already given Puppet away to the RSPCA's Gorsi Farm kennels in Ashton after her son Peter had had an allergic reaction to him, thus proving that Peter Masterson is worse than Hitler. Like if my kid... I can't believe Elsie didn't even tell her. If my kid had an allergic reaction to a dog, do you know what? The dog is staying and you're going on antihistamines. I don't give a shit. Fucking love that dog. Poor little puppet. So wait, do RSPCA shelters euthanize animals? Like, is I think in... No, it's not. It's We don't really have kill shelters here the way you guys have kill shelters. I think it's very, very rare. Like when And like it makes the news sometimes if dogs are like uh, euthanized. Yeah, we, I think, I don't know about, obviously they do have kill shelters in California, but I think a lot of them turn to no kill now yeah. at this point. Just, But I, yeah, they're definitely in the U.S. There's a, they do have a policy where they euthanize animals after a period of time. It's terrible. I w- one of my dreams has always been to go to a shelter and just say, like, which animal is either going to be killed soon or who's been here the longest and just take them and be like, I'll have that one. Doesn't like matter to me. I've always wanted to do that. Senior animals are the best as well, especially like old cats because old cats are just like kind of grumpy and they have a little routine and they're much more loving, I find. They're more fun than a kitten. I'm not a fan of kittens. So wait, what are you saying? Caliban's going to be more loving when he's like 18? He, no. I love when cats get old though, don't you? Because cats, when they start to get old, kind of start looking robotic. Do you know what I mean? They look like they're animatronic when they get to a certain age. They look fake. Could you imagine what Caliban's going to look like when he's like 18? And believe me, Caliban will live to be 20 just to torment me. That, cat, that cat's going to look like Mumra, like with his wrinkled <laughs> skin. And he's still going to make that harsh, you know, shrill yowl, yowl but it's just going to sound terrible. That will be his last words. Oh, yeah. Uh, so during the investigation into Myron Ian, DC uh, Margaret Campion, she collected Puppet from the kennels and she took him to vet James Gawley in order to confirm the dog's age so that they could establish when the photograph of Puppet with Myra on John Kilbride's grave was taken. So at this time, Margaret admitted that she hadn't obtained permission from Myra herself, but she's acting on orders, right? This is an investigation. James Gawley administered the uh, anesthetic on Puppet and x-rayed his teeth, estimating him to be about 18 months and three years old. But when he tried to revive the good boy after the surgery, the dog just remained still. But for 45 minutes, he basically performed mouth-to-mouth and chest compressions on the pup. And it was only later on he would find out that the the dog had suffered a serious illness that caused his heart to stop during surgery. So he was probably allergic to the anesthetic. So as soon as it was administered, the dog was basically going to die. At the trial, Ian raised the subject um, of the detectives taunting him that they would kill the dog during his interrogation. Ian told the court... And Puppet was destroyed one week later. 
The Attorney General fired back. It is a wicked suggestion that the dog was deliberately put to death, Brady, and you know it. But Ian replied back with a smirk. It's just a funny coincidence. He's so ballsy, Ian Brady. Like, compared to Myra Hindley, like, I know he's an absolute fucking arsehole, but he, like, never changed, whereas Myra was snidey. Myra was hysterical when she heard the news. She screamed out only one word at the police who told her. Murderers! She's pretty fucking rich. She <laughs> yeah, killed no, kids. from her. In her letter to her mother shortly afterwards, she wrote, I feel as though my heart has been torn to pieces. I don't think anyone could hurt me more than this. The only consolation is that some moron might have gotten hold of Puppet and hurt him. Well, that's the thing. This is how rich that woman actually was. So her frustration about the police's failure to hand over the file on the dog's demise is in quite a bit of, you know, quite a bit of stark contrast to how she made the families of the victims wait decades before revealing the fate of their loved ones. You know, it was like 1985, 20 years after the murders, that she and Brady admitted their role in the death of two other children. uh, Was it? Pauline Reed and Keith Bennett. But, you, but what's funny about this is like, I know how she's calling the police murderers for the, for this dog, but had she actually come forward and said like, yeah, you know, confessed to these murders and said like right. this actually happened, that dog wouldn't have been anesthetized. They wouldn't have had to use DNA, you know, pr- prove his, uh, yeah. his age via DNA. So if you think about it, she murdered Puppet. She did, and Puppet was a real cutie as well. Like, he was kind of a blotchy... Like, there's going to be pictures on the site, but he was like a blotchy-coloured collie. He didn't have the traditional collie-like um, yeah. markings. Like, Lassie looks like Lassie, hence why they Lassie's called it Lassie. Lassie's like a, a traditional collie. Yeah, but Puppet's super cute and like, oh, poor Puppet. But we're going to just get on to some quick shout-outs, a couple of fun facts before we get to the crowning gory of serial killer pets. So, Jeffrey Dahmer who we all know loved his cocker spaniel Frisky when he was a kid. He also loved fish. In particular, I didn't look up how to say this, so I am going to butcher it. Cichlids? Cichlids, right? Yeah, I think that's how you say it. Oh, chicklids? Chicklids. I'm sorry, I don't keep fish. I think that's super cute, though. Um, They're apparently a super popular and they're a beautiful aquarium fish to maintain. I did fall down like a 20-minute like wormhole of looking at pictures of them. Jeffrey once said, it was nice with African chicklids and tiger barbs in it and live plants. It was a beautifully kept fish tank, very clean. I used to like to just sit there and watch them swim around, basically. I used to enjoy the planning and the setup, the filtration, read about how to keep the nitrate and the ammonia down to safe levels, and just the whole spectrum of fish keeping interested me. I once saw some puffer fish in the store, and that's a round fish, and it's the only one I ever saw with both eyes in front like a person's eyes. And they would come right up to the front of the glass, and their eyes would be crystal blue like a person's. Really cute. It's a fun hobby. I really enjoyed that fish tank. It's something I really miss. I'm with Jeffrey on this because I love puffer fish. They are so cute, Dave. I I like puffer fish, too. I think they're kind of cute, although I'd never eat them. Did, uh, I would never Dom- eat them. Did Dahmer have an aquarium when he was uh, arrested? Like, did he have one in his apartment? Yeah. Yeah. What? Right. So I also then That's fell into a wormhole because I wanted to know what happened to the fish. Obviously, they all died because everything was taken into evidence. And with everything going on, nobody's going to be like, oh, let's keep the fish alive. And I couldn't find... I was even looking through like the booking info, you know, like when they book stuff in. And it did say aquarium, but it didn't say 
with how many fish in it. So I'm presuming that all the fish died. Did he like chop off any like dongs or fingers and throw them in the in the tank? Is that what you would do? No, I'm I'm just surprised he wouldn't do that. Like, you know, why not? Or put like a human no. skull in there so the the chicklids <gasps> could like swim in it. The skull would be cool. You could be yeah, like, oh no, not? that's fake. I got it from the aquarium. I would love to keep fish one day. I used to follow this. Uh, well, I still follow it. He just never uploads. I used to follow this YouTube channel called Foo the Flower Horn. Have you ever seen flower horn fishes? No, I don't even know what those are. They're super personable. They they're kind of like a sphinx. They've been bred to specifically be an aquarium fish and you can't really have them with anything else and you can't have stuff in their tank because they go mental but they love human interaction and they're kind of like mini dogs like mini puppies or kittens very hard to look after but i've always thought one day if i ever get really bored i'll get a flower horn uh john gacy had a had a dog he had a cocker spaniel named prince he owned as a teenager and as a child growing up, Gacy had no love or affection from his abusive father. Um, and he had a very neglectful mother. But he found comfort. He had solace in a in, in, uh, little cocker spaniel named Prince. Um, Prince was, in fact, Gacy's second dog. His first dog was a dog named Pal, who was shot by his alcoholic father. You wonder why some people turn into serial killers. After Powell was killed, Gacy stole flowers from a local funeral home and gave him a proper burial. Gacy was more protective of Prince after what happened to Powell, and uh, he considered uh, Prince to be his closest friend. I get that, though, because Prince is probably a good boy. A cocker spaniel. Oh. We've got Harold Shipman, a.k.a. Dr. Death. He wept as a student as he lived opposite the Leeds School of Medicine and he would regularly complain about the dogs that were kept on the roof for medical testing and vivisection and he would lose it at the sight of watching the poor pups being led from their cages on the roof to their very early deaths. He also had the excellent taste to have a poodle. I couldn't find out much information about his poodle but my dream is to have a toy poodle named David Barkowitz and he's a very good boy. Uh, David, uh, Harold Shipman also had a couple of rabbits kicking around as well. Yeah, Shipman's uh, poodle was a black poodle, just kind of like the one you want. I want a black mini poodle, a black toy poodle called David Barkowitz. I'm going to put a stud collar on him and I'm going to teach him to growl at strangers. Like when a stranger comes near him, I'm just going to teach him how to growl so he can be a good boy. Yeah, I was reading about Shipman. You know, uh, he's thought to have killed around 250 people. And that's a prolific serial killer. I know, but it's unconfirmed. And like also the thing with Shipman and all these like doctor and nurses of death, they're only really offering like oldies for money. And it's kind of cheating too. I mean, they're using like, you know, putting like a drug into their IV. Yeah, I talked about this uh, definitely on the Patreon, but my current doctor was Ian Brady's doctor while he was at Ashworth's. And he was also Harold Shipman's doctor for a very brief time. So I have the same doctor as Harold Shipman and Ian Brady. Isn't that wild? Yeah, that is weird. That's a strange coincidence. He's a fucking great doctor. I like him. He always tells me little tidbits about both of them. Because he didn't know Harold Shipman very well because Harold uh, killed himself, but he knew Ian. So every time I go, he's like, I can't really talk about it, but he tells me stuff. (laughs) Yes, I love this. So we've got Peter Manuel, the Beast of Birkenshaw. I covered him way back on the Patreon. He once broke into a house. He shot everyone, including a 10-year-old boy, shot them all dead. And for a week, he stayed in the house with the dead bodies. But he carried on feeding the family cat, giving it tins of salmon. Now, knowing cats, I bet that cat was like, sweet. 
I'm getting fucking sobbing every day here. <laughs> Kill them all. Way better than my last owners. Yeah, sobbing every day. I love it. Rose West had two dogs. She bought them after the murders and when Fred was banged up before she was arrested and she would take them on the train to visit him while he was in prison. <laughs> well, she had a bearded collie and a cocker spaniel. And uh, I guess the family later admitted that Rose hated those dogs. She never liked them, but I guess Fred did, so she'd bring them on the train to go visit them. I did try to find out what happened to those dogs, but it's very difficult. There's nothing unconfirmed, like confirmed. You'd have to probably contact a family member. Yeah. But cute dogs. We're not even going to talk about Robert Stroud. I fucking hate that you prick. Hate that guy. I don't have time to go into it. But for those that do keep a scorecard of things I regularly mention all the time, it's actually an internet myth that Eric and Dylan boasted about mutilating animals. Eric had a dog called Sparky that he was very sweet towards. And Dylan loved cats because, I mean, just look at him. He's a cat man. He's a cat dad, isn't he? Yeah, I have, I have read that uh, Dylan actually was a, was, a, was a big cat guy. He looks like a cat guy. Another guy who was a, a cat daddy was a mobster Ooh. Whitey Bulger. Not really a serial nice. killer, but um, he believed that a homeless cat in Santa Monica actually led to his arrest. Uh, so <laughs> in a letter dated June 25th, 2017, Bulger said his girlfriend, Catherine, uh, who shared a love of animals had insisted on taking in a homeless cat named Tiger that a longtime neighbor had been feeding. I guess the neighbor moved to a nursing home, and so Catherine started feeding Tiger outside the Princess Eugenia apartments uh, that uh, Greg and and Bulger had shared for 15 years when they were on the lam. Yeah. Um, This is where Whitey Bulger suspected this is what attracted the attention of a neighbor across the street because she would see them going out and feeding this uh, homeless cat and so he feels that she's the one who called the FBI. And so when the FBI featured Grieg on TV, um, Bulger wrote, the woman called the FBI, and that's what led to their capture. He said, I predicted feeding that cat will cost me my life. And he knew we were being noticed for it. But Catherine said, if we don't feed that cat, he will starve. And so he said he and, and, his, uh, and, and Catherine, his girlfriend, were willing to take the risk. He Aww. said, we had no choice in a way. We both loved cats and dogs, and we fed them and gave money to people who fed feral cats. I and Catherine never lament over, over this being a risk, and we felt that we couldn't walk away from it. So he was, he was a cat lover. Whitey That's Bulger. a cat dad. Yeah. That's so cute. I love it. Even though he was a terrible man who killed many, many people, he did love cats. So that's, that's one good thing about him. And this is actually <laughs> yeah. another interesting story about a, another cat daddy. A man by the name of Douglas Beamish and his cat Snowball. Um, this guy is a, a man, in, a Canadian man, who murdered a, a, a single mom here. Um, or not, well, she became a single mom later. But 32-year-old Shirley Duguay uh, was found in a shallow grave in Prince Edward Island, Canada. She was the mother of five children, and she was separated from her common-law husband, Douglas Beamish. So she ended up being a, a single mother at the time. Beamish was a petty criminal, and he had been on parole during the time of the murder. And the, he was the primary suspect in the case. However, the Royal Mounties had no evidence to really associate him with the crime. And okay, he had a pretty yeah. strong alibi. Um, right. near the, however, near the scene of the crime, though, the RCMP, they found a leather jacket that was stained with blood that matched uh, that of Shirley Duguay. Now, some of Beamish's friends 
told the RCMP that they, they, they were like, that jacket looks very familiar. We're pretty sure that Doug owns a jacket like that, but they weren't, you know, they weren't certain. So forensic investigators started studying the jacket, and they found 27 white hairs on the inside lining. They initially thought the hairs might belong to, uh, to Beamish, but then after looking at it, they're like, oh, no, these are cat hairs. These hairs belong to Snowball. And so one of the investigators on the case remembered that uh, Beamish's parents had a, had a cat and a white cat named Snowball. And at the time of the murder, since Beamish had, been, had separated from Shirley, he was living with his parents. So the issue here is they had to prove that the white fur on the coat belonged to Snowball, which would provide evidence to tie Beamish to the crime. And so forensic investigators figured that, you know, the hair belonged, you know, to the cat, but they didn't really, you know, they, they couldn't determine the identity of the animal without some kind of DNA fingerprinting, which okay. the technology didn't really exist at the time. So what an RCMP investigator ended up contacting the animal genetics group at the Laboratory of Genomic uh, Diversity in Frederick, Maryland, and they agreed to attempt DNA fingerprinting of Snowball. And so they took a sample of blood from Snowball and one of the hairs found on the jacket, and that contained a root with enough DNA to perform an analysis. And they found that the DNA from the hair root and the DNA from Snowball's blood was a direct match. And so based on this genetic evidence, they were able to link Beamish to the jacket and now link him to, uh, to the crime. And he was sentenced to prison for 15 years. But the case set a legal precedent allowing DNA fingerprinting of animals to be admitted as evidence in uh, criminal trials. So if you think about it, Snowball got Douglas Fingered arrested. Him. Yeah. Um, and, this, and if you think about it, this is the reason you should have a hairless cat. Because cat owners will never be able to get away with their crimes, no matter what they do, because their clothes are covered in cat hair. Oh, man, it's, it is like fighting a losing battle when you have, like, Chi-Chi doesn't yeah. even have long hair, but because he's got white hair, you just, like, notice it way more. You couldn't get away with murder. Me? No problem. I think I actually could get away with murder, but we'll, we'll talk about that maybe on the second show. <laughs> <laughs> and now we're about to meet the most exotic and probably the least well-known on this beastly list. And that animal's name is Mr. Muggs. Born in 1931, Jim Jones grew up in rural Indiana and he was a really weird kid. He spent a lot of his childhood pretending to already be a preacher. He was torturing and abusing animals before he would raise them from the dead. <laughs> In 1955, when he was 24, Jim had a small flock of uh, faithful followers, and he had founded his own church, which we all know would come to be known as the People's Temple. He had funded it all through a rather bizarre and ambitious venture. He was going door to door selling pet spider monkeys that he had imported from South Africa. Uh, South Africa, South, South America, America yeah. sorry. So there's an early link to those who wonder why Jonestown ended up being in South America. So he's selling these spider monkeys for $29 each. The man is literally engaging in monkey business. But he would use it as a sideline for his church because whilst he's in the homes of the unsettled monkey buyers, these poor innocent housewives, he would uh, just casually either show them a Jonestown tape or like, well, like not Jonestown, a people's temple tape, or he would pull out his like, you know, his John Jonestown literature and he would show them that. Yeah, I read that, uh... In Indianapolis, he would ride around on his bicycle with a cage of monkeys in the back. And it was so such a comical sight that kids would throw rocks at him because it was kind of funny. 
you know, but with his, uh, you know, cute merchandise, he often got his foot in the door. I mean, a lot of people would, li- you know, listen to his pitch, and he sold quite a few of those monkeys, believe it or yeah. not. Well, of course he did. I mean, he's very affable. And I must say this about young, uh, young, the young reverend, very handsome. He's like got the Asiatic eyes. He kind of looks like an Asian Elvis. Yeah, he's very charismatic. He does look very Asian, though. Yeah, I mean, he's hot. I probably would have gone to the church. He would often give away these monkeys to church members who would bring in the most new members. And that's how he bragged that this method netted him 300 followers. I wouldn't want a monkey, though. No. No fucking way. I hate them. They bite and they throw their feces around. Just like Caliban. No, you know, I was just thinking that. At least Caliban just takes a shit and puts my sock on it. He's not picking up the shit and literally throwing at me. That's the next move he'll start doing. Yeah, once he starts throwing shit at me, I'm getting rid of him. He's being rehomed. (laughs) The scheme basically stopped when the animals started arriving dead. So in April of 54, three monkeys docked, but only one was alive. A week later, there were seven more monkeys. Three were just barely alive. Jones balked at paying the $89 air freight bill um, assessed on the original seven monkeys, and he abandoned them in the customs warehouse here in the basement of the federal building, so the Indianapolis Star reported. To the rescue came a systems customs colleague, Eugene J. Ocon. Ocon sent an underling to buy some bananas. He mixed the bananas with some brandy that he'd confiscated, and he fed the concoction to the monkeys. An hour later, he said, the free animals were able to sit up and chatter softly amongst themselves. What, so he got the monkeys drunk? Yeah, I mean, if you're dying on your way out, wouldn't you want a shot of brandy? It's the least you could do. It sounds like a nice cocktail, actually, like a banana-y brandy cocktail, like something very tropical. I'm sure the monkeys enjoyed it. By 1969, the church had opened its own animal shelter called the Redwood Valley Church Animal Shelter, took in all kinds of animals, dogs, cats, horses, turtles. And most of these animals, they were dropped off anonymously in front of either the Joneses' house or the church because it was all on one huge property. Local vets would pitch in to help heal the sick ones and either a church member or Jim Jones himself would adopt the animals. There's tons of sermons where Jim talks about his house being filled with animals. So these are quotes from two of his sermons. The first one's from August of 72, and the next one's July of 73. So he said, some are here because they were attracted by our, uh, our animal refuge shelter. We've got all kinds of little things down there that are being mended, wings that are being mended, and legs that are being mended. And every little animal that was shoved aside, we take in. His next sermon, he said, it's wonderful. In each service, every service, we distribute animals, cats, dogs, the unwanted, you know, the mixed people. That's what I am. Mixed with everything under the sun. So the little, the little alley cats and the alley dogs, I'm an alley human. And I feel very much for these animals. I dig it. Like, yeah. Yeah, he's, he's passionate about animals. That's, that's one thing I agree with Jim Jones on. There's a lot of things I actually agree with Jim Jones on. But I, again, I could, I could talk all day about it. Despite rumors that Jim would largely tell uh, himself, Mr. Muggs was not rescued from an animal testing lab or anything else as grizzly. Mr. Muggs is 18 months old when Jim and his family on their way back to San Francisco from an L.A. in 1971 or 72 picked him up just simply from a pet star. Well, I, th- I think you need to tell the audience here what kind of animal Mr. Muggs is. Some people might recognize the name. But yeah. I don't know if people even know what kind of animal Mr. Bugs is. And this is what makes him like the most exotic creature that we've talked about on the show so but, far. 
we were talking about spider monkeys, but this is a step above a spider monkey. This is a chimpanzee. Yeah, he. it's amazing that he picked up a chimpanzee, a chimp, in a pet store. Uh, yeah, I can't quite believe it either. <laughs> I wonder what when the rules changed that they couldn't have chimps in pet you, you stores could... in California anymore. Yeah, I'd like to. So he's selling spider, spider monkeys for $29. How much does a chimp go for? Like $79? <laughs> yeah, maybe. Anyways, they bought him. He was wearing a diaper when they brought him out to the family car, but the diaper didn't stay on for very long. And he shit inside the car all the way back to Redwood Valley. And as uh, Stephen Jones, who is Jim Jones' oldest surviving son, he described laid waste to a number of rest stops along the way. It's like you after you eat Taco Bell. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, so- that's, that's, a, that's amazing. So they had to take, they had to drive from San Francisco to L.A., or no, the opposite LA way around, to L.A. to South But that's like five and a half based. hours with a monkey shitting all over the car. And then they had to stop at every restroom to try and clean him up, I guess. Oh. If they were devoted. So it's like you said, they named him Mr. Mokes because uh, there was a mascot on NBC's Today Show from 1953 till 1957 who was a chimp called J. Fred Mokes. Uh, you're old enough. Do you remember that show? I don't recall that one. No, I, think I, like, I would think I was only in my 30s then, though. <laughs> I don't know if I, yeah, I don't know if I watched it today's show. Mr. Mook started off by living in a cage behind the parsonage in Redwood Valley. And when I mean cage, I mean, it's fucking huge. It was a small building. It had a small building attached to it. So he could go in there to stay warm and like Netflix and chill. And it was also attached to where the security detail would keep a 24 hour watch over the land. So they use every ounce of space. Now, this might come as a shock to some of you, but Jim Jones wasn't exactly the nicest to Mr. Muggs. And eventually, he would be passed along to longtime Temple member uh, Joyce Touchette, and the chimp was like another child to them. And he would even ride on the Temple bus to church meetings. He would sit in the front. Mr. Muggs loved, respected, and sometimes feared Joyce, but she was the only one who could handle him and discipline him. She was totally his surrogate mother. Muggs went to Guyana on one of the first boats out there in December of 74. His cage had already been built. Again, his cage is huge, and it's one of the first structures of Jonestown. And in fact, Mr. Muggs is the first official resident of Jonestown. He thrived in his new environment. He was living his best life, as the kids say. And he became stacked. He weighed about 130 pounds, or that's just over nine stone for the metric crew. Uh, Joyce Touchette, who ran the kitchen, and in fact, her whole family were amongst the first to set up Jonestown and make it a community. She's still the best chimp mom in the whole wide world, looking after Mr. Muggs. He was super social with everyone. He played games like Keep Away or Tug of War. He would actually initiate Tug of War sometimes by dangling. She taught me how to dangle. A blanket outside his cage is like an invitation. And he's usually win because if Mr. Muggs felt like he was losing, he'd just start biting the shit out of your fingers. See, that's what I'd be scared of. I'd be scared of that that animal, the chimpanzee, which has the, I don't know, the strength of like seven men. Yeah. Seven grown men. It's the strength of seven grown men. And teeth sharp enough to rip your face off. I would be very nervous about being around this animal. Did they let him roam free, like, throughout the encampment? Not really, but yes. Because he would go to the church meetings oh. that they had. But when they're in Jonestown, they're having a lot more church meetings pretty much daily at this point. So they would let him out the cage, but he liked his cage. He would chill in his cage. 
I think I'd rather drink the Flavor-Aid than uh, get my face ripped off by a chimpanzee. Thank you very much for saying Flavor-Aid. You, you get some points there. So Mr. Bugs is famous around this encampment. He had escaped when they had actually landed uh, and he had raided Port Katuma. So this is the same place where Senator Leah Ryan and four others would be shot to death by the People's Temple. Uh, the chimp, not Leo, had attempted to urinate on the Guyana Supreme Court Martial. He spat at people and former members claims that Jones would threaten to throw interlopers to be ripped apart by the chimp. And he was used as a form of punishment for the younger children of Jonestown. I mean, he did some horrible things to the pe to, as forms of punishment in Jonestown, but small children would be placed in his cage. We all know how angry and murderous chimps can be, but Mr. Muggs never ripped the face of a, off a small child that we know about. They're ticking is, time bombs, those chimpanzees. They are, especially once they get to like, what is it, 18 months old when they reach sexual awareness. That's usually when they become super violent. He's already past that age and he isn't a violent chimp. So I think he was just a kind of, a, just a chimp. Yeah, but you never know, like, uh, who's the, the, the chimp that bit the face off of uh, Charla Nash? Yeah, yeah, but he was a he was like eighteen months old, which is like when they start no, becoming he was sexual. Older. That that chimp was, was he? older. Yeah, he was like he had been in TV, and they 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 rescued him, and he's retired. Oh, yeah, and yeah. he had lived with no, this right. with the lady for I don't know a long, a long time. Like he could use the remote control, he could brush his teeth, and then one day I mean, he also actually he was on Animal Xanax. She'd given him Animal oh, Xanax. Really strange now that behaviors. I think about it. Yeah, and then one day. Something snapped, off. and he just ripped that woman's face off. Do you ever see the pictures of her? Yeah, I did see the pictures, and post-surgery as well. I think she should do porn just to do it. Why not? <laughs> do you think Caliban will be like that to you? He'll just be like, I'll take his whole face off one day. Yeah, it's like living with Nicolas Cage. Like biting my face off? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. Probably. I'm willing to take the risk. <laughs> So, um, I nearly said Nicholas Cajun. Mr. Muggs would flare out his hair and he would appear like, you know, a cat does in it. You know, when cats are angry and they're like, gosh, and they all flare up. He would do this when he was angry or anxious. And I imagine this is completely how he looked on the white night of November the 18th, 1978, when 918 people would be murdered in the name of revolutionary suicide. Despite the fact that he had never caused no harm to anyone, Mr. Muggs was mugged off. And he was the first to, to kind of be sent to the slaughter that night. Records are unclear as to who shot him. Maybe it was Jim Jones, but it's much more likely that it was a People's Temple guard, the same people who had been and killed Leo Ryan. Mm -hmm. During the death tape, six shots can be heard and identified. They can all be linked to the bullets that killed Jim Jones, his nurse, and in some ways, villain of Jonestown. She's like evil lintel Skeletor and the last to die. This is Annie Moore and the two that killed Mr. Bugs and the two that killed Jonestown dogs. A dum-dum bullet, which is a round uh, projectile, it's made to expand on contact. This is what killed Annie. And it's so forceful that on impact, it blew half her face clean off. It's the same color of bullet used on Mr. Muggs. And according to the Guyana assistant police commissioner, Skip Roberts, Mr. Muggs was still alive when the defense force arrived in Jonestown some 36 hours after the massacre. Bless him. Wow. He just needed some brandy and bananas. Yeah, that's shocking. Yeah, he... So he lived like a full day, day and a half after the massacre. Yeah, while all these like 900 plus dead bodies are stinking up the giant. So he was a witness to it. If only they could have got him to talk in court. 
and be like, what happened, Mr. Muggs? Well, he was mortally wounded. I mean, they shot him twice. And he did die shortly afterwards. Uh, his chimp mum, Joyce Touchet, along with her husband, David, daughter, Michelle, her very hunky son, Al. Can we put up a picture of Al when he's holding Mr. Muggs on the site? Yeah, that is a good picture. We should post that. He's super hunky. And her adopted children, David George and Neil Sean, they all died in Jonestown that night. You know, they were very devoted. The norm is usually first, they torture animals, then they turn to humans. But these like animal lovers that we've all just mentioned prove that even the most evil of people are as black as white as they sometimes claim to be. Or in the words of Charlie Manson for those keeping score, no sense makes sense. So D, let's pour out some of our 40s for bleep, Blondie, Blondie's puppies, Puppet, Jeffrey Dahmer's fish, and even though I fucking hate chimps and they're the worst animal in the world, Mr. Muggs, who survived a massacre. Well, kind of, but not really. But that's semantics at the end of the day. Yeah, they're the true victims here. The poor they animals. Are the true victims. Who, who weren't able to choose their owners. You know, uh, they, they didn't choose these, these evil people to be their owners. I think this does uh, disprove the theory. You know, when people say dogs are a good judge of character. All these dogs prove that they weren't, that that's not fucking true. But it does show that they're very loyal animals. You they know, are, and that's why they're all good boys and terrible. Girls. But yeah. Good boys and girls. If they're often overlooked. I, I've been wanting to do a, an episode on uh, the serial killers and their killers and their pets for quite some time. I think anyway, anyone listening knows I've been in, really into Jonestown at the minute. And I was like, we're doing Mr. Muggs, talking about Mr. Muggs. Aren't you, aren't you watching a, a documentary on Jonestown no, recently? I've, I've been re-listening to this podcast because there was some episodes. And then I've also been, I've started to read Raven by Tim Reiterman. It's a 900-page book and it's it's riveting. There's so many places in like LA and San Francisco we're going to have to go and see because it's all Jonestown. Yeah, weren't you saying the Museum of Death was like a recording studio? The Museum of Death located on Hollywood. Hollywood yeah. Boulevard, kind of near Gower. I, they, that, that's not, it's no longer there anymore. It shut down a couple of years ago. But did you say that was like originally a recording studio? For the it was originally Temple? a recording studio. Not just for them. Um, like Pink Floyd did part of the wall there. Fleetwood Mac did part of Rumors there. And the People Temple uh, recorded their whole album there. So there was a point in history where Jim Jones was in that building. Wow. Well, makes sense that the Museum of Death was there. Um, people's episode eight sixty nine here is sticking wrong. We got a couple phone calls to stick wrong hotline three two three five two two four zero three two is that number. But first, here's a quick message from Adam and Eve. Hey guys, it's me, Stephen. I'm a huge fan of your show. Thanks to your awesome coupon code, Diddle, I can buy myself. Loads of good sex toys. Since both of my wives died, and my Lugaric's disease got pretty bad, let's just say things in the bedroom got pretty boring. But thanks to adamandeve.com and coupon code DIDDLE, D-I-D-D-L-E. I'm now a 
So we got a couple phone calls here to get to. 323-522-4032 is the number of the Sick and Wrong Drunk Dial line. And you can also email us at uh, sickandwrongpodcast at gmail.com. People, we do need some calls. I'm getting really low on calls. Ring us. We're lonely without you. Yeah, we want to hear. We want to know what's going on. Um, so just give us a ring or send us an email. I'm trying to build a backlog here. Um, this next caller, though, he does check in with us from time to time, and I'm always very interested in hearing what he has to say. Marshall Island Tony calling <gasps> in yes. about Korea. I wonder if he was. I wonder if he was there when uh, they, the the Halloween crush happened. Oh, in Seoul? No, because I thought he lives in Japan. Yeah, but Japan to Korea is like an hour. It's like an hour flight. Why would he be jetting off to Korea? Because they have a hell of a Halloween party. <laughs> Apparently. Yeah. It's a smash. Hey, it's Tony, uh, the Marshall Island one, in case you forgot. I know it's been a while, but uh, just couldn't be bothered. I have some stories about <laughs> Japan and some other places, but um, in honor of recent events in Korea, I have just a minor story um, about what happened to me there. Um, as you probably know now, the, that Itaewon, that's a big party area in Seoul, so I often went there um, when I was in Korea. So uh, one night when I was there in this club, I met this Korean girl, and let's say she was kind of off. For example, I can't remember exactly what I said, but I said something, and she right, she got really like angry and offended. And I was just you know, <laughs> trying to make small talk. So I'm like, well, this isn't going to work. So d- does he speak Korean? Like, how he is must... he chatting up these birds in the book? Because a lot of those girls don't speak English. He's a, he's a cunning linguist. I think he knows what to say to get laid. In, like, he knows enough of each language to say what he needs to in order to get laid. I think this this current, like, Halloween crush uh, stampede that happened uh, recently is in no way number of the sheer hearts that were crushed when Marshall Island totally, Tony was in Korea. <laughs> I just think he knows how to say how much for a blowjob in like six different Asian languages. He's not your Asian friend Leander. This is a different... <laughs> I oh, Marshall Island can uh, get it down low. Oh, believe me, I'm sure Marshall Island Tony has paid for sex in many <laughs> oh, different <yeah>. Asian countries. <laughs> I walked away. But... um. A little while later, she came up to me, and she was like, well, let's go to my place. So uh, she convinced me, and we started walking these um, kind of side streets up to her place. And it's not the best area of town. I'm getting kind of nervous, you know. She's playing some kind of trick on me. And to make matters worse, I almost got in a fight with this Korean guy. He said something to her. Um, you know, the Korean guys, are, they're real assholes about if you, you know, date a Korean girl. They get really pissed off and jealous, so... But um, she she did calm that situation, and which is probably a damn good thing, because it would have been a real mess getting in a fight with you know Korean, um, some kind of you know, Korean guy in some kind of slum. But we did get to her place, and which was mm, kind of lacking. It stunk, and there was some dog shit on the floor, and some young Korean kid was laying there watching TV. I guess it was her brother or something. I don't know. I, th- I think this is really funny that he's like, oh, yeah, this place is a dump. Dude, you called in about banging a girl in the Marshall Islands while her entire family was in the <laughs> hut. Do you remember this call? Like the grandma yeah. was like looking at them and he was still just banging the girl on like a I don't even think it was a mattress on the ground. I think it was like a straw mat. 
He's got ground. some fucking fortitude, that Marshall Allen. Yeah. Really. When, he's, when his rocks want to get off, his rocks are getting off. There's nothing stopping him. Yeah, I, I, I'm just surprised that you actually give a shit that her place is kind of messy. It's funny how he's like, oh, I came back and like there's nothing there, but there's some dog shit on the floor. It's like, you come back, you just find some cat shit on a shag rug. Yeah, exactly. Come into this fucking place, <laughs> cat. Then we went into her bedroom. So anyway, she she takes off her shirt and plops down on her bed and looks like she passes out. And the whole scene, I'm just, I'm not feeling, feeling very romantic anymore. So I'm start, I start debating in my head you know, whether I should leave. And while I'm thinking about it, another really bad smell <laughs> overcomes me a bit. I, I don't think she's shit herself, but, you know, literally, but they're just uh, silent but deadly. However, that was enough to tip me to the side. Um, I'm getting out of here. <laughs> so I try to sneak out like a thief in the night, but this the Korean kid, he... He notices me, but doesn't say anything. So I started walking, trying to find my way back to Itaewon. You know, that Korean kid has felt the brunt of her farts before. He was just like, he probably looked at him and was like, I know, I've been there, buddy. <laughs> Didn't that happen to you once where you were at the house of a shack and she did a really long fart? Yeah, it was, uh, I had actually, we had already had sex at that point, but uh, I wanted to leave. Not to mention I was having like a horrible allergic reaction to her shitty cat. Her shitty cat with like one fucking eye. It's like this oh. old cat that had, yeah, it had like something happen that had to have its eye removed. And it was this like shitty fucking like really hairy. I think it was like a Persian or something like that. Um, and I was, I was in, yeah, I was having a really, I was in dire straits with my allergies. And not to mention I was, you know, wasn't even that into the girl and I'm sitting there and the cat kept like crawl, like walking on me, and I was trying not to sneeze. She was Miasma. snoring, like she was just sleeping. And then out of nowhere, I just heard like the loudest fart. It was like a stick, like a machine gun, like pop, 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 pop. And I just was like, "I'm out of here. I'm done." <laughs> now I understand. Like I seriously, I empathize with you, Tony. Like you, you, the fart is like okay. That's that's my signal. I'm out of here. <laughs> <laughs> Tried to, have to ask a couple of Koreans for directions, but they gave me that you know. But I eventually found a taxi, got back to my hotel. So that's it. I blew my chance for easy nut there, but maybe it's for the best. An easy nut on a passed out girl? I'm glad she used the <laughs> farting defense mechanism against him. Yeah, maybe she knew inherently deep down that danger was lurking nearby. Yeah, and she was just like, you know, it's just a natural defense mechanism, like the way the body defends itself. I think that would defend yourself against like 99.9% of men who refuse to believe that women fart. So yeah, it's it's effective. It kills the boner, believe me. Yeah. I'd be like, I'm done. <laughs> that is sketchy though. Now he's got to walk through this like Korean slum. Like, I think he answered his own question there. He doesn't really speak Korean, but he probably knows enough Korean to like get around. Exactly. I, that's what I'm saying. I bet he knows how to say how much for a blowjob. Which is what you need to learn how to get around. That's how, he's, that's how he's learned the language. He's, a, he's an international man of uh, perversion. <laughs> anyway, thank you, Marshall Island, Tony. Always good yeah. to check in with you. I'm always interested to, to hear. Like every, I, I get a little excited every time he sends in. A, he usually emails us an MP3. And when it comes in, I'm like, oh, this guy, you know this is going to be a good story. 
So, yeah, um, I don't like rate all the phone callers in like a, you know, a little list, but he's definitely, I would say, top five callers. Yeah, I do he's been bringing for so me. long as well. Um, I like this next caller too. Good old Tim. Do you remember Tim uh, called in about uh, being, he was like a male nurse, and I was saying like, I bet Tim was crawling in sliz as a male nurse. He was a straight male nurse at a, a maternity ward, I think. Yes, I remember this episode. Wasn't it? Yeah. So anyway, yeah. he calls in and to, to do the math about how much Sliz he used to get. Okay. Hey, Dean Kate, this is Tim calling in uh, with a follow-up to uh, answer Dee's question about how much, uh, quote, Sliz I got, end quote, <laughs> as a male secretary um, working in a female-dominated environment. Um, let me just run some math here. got the yep. burrows adding machine zero uh <laughs> it, it took me a number of years to kind of come out of my shell and get used to uh who i i don't know develop a personality maybe that's probably the best way to put it um i worked in this environment from i think 17 to 20 so um, oh wow i was still getting my legs he under was young. me um yeah i got a couple dates out of it from you know a couple ladies who were well out of my league and it was more of just like friend stuff um but yeah zero also being a male secretary isn't gay keep it safe <laughs> i think i thought he it's was a male gay. nurse but he's a male secretary that's even gayer than male nurse. you're like can you imagine if um also male secretary is definitely a code word like when you hear kenneth anger has a male secretary like he bums him there's no there's just no doubt about it like Whenever, what is it, Roman Navarro has a male secretary, like, yeah, bums him. But, right. like, if you or Steele had been a male secretary between the ages of 17 to 20, you you two would probably have been fired for the amount of schliz that you'd be trying to pick up. Well, I think part of it, I understand, though, at that age, I definitely didn't have the confidence that I did later. But, yeah, I think almost every job where I've worked at that had a lot of women in the environment. I might not have banged, I might not have shagged the girls I worked with, but I always shag their friends because they always are like, oh, my friend, you're single? Oh, I have a friend who's single. And that's how you just get hooked up with dates. Like I remember in college, I worked at the Michigan Daily, which is a school newspaper. And I worked with like, uh, it's like, I don't know, these women probably were in their 30s or something, maybe tw late 20s or 30s. It was mostly women in the office, and I was like an admin assistant. It was one of those jobs that uh, they, these, instead of getting loans, you could do like a work study. So it's yeah. like I would get basically a loan, but I still had to put in like, I think, 30 hours a week of work in order to get this loan. But I swear, they hooked me up with so many girls. Like they just knew women, like they, they knew girls that, because they were from Michigan, they just, they would be like, oh, you got to date my niece, or you got to date my cousin, yeah. or blah, blah, blah. I shagged so many girls during that period, but I was a little older than, uh, than he was. I was, I was probably like, yeah, I was probably like 20, 21. Yeah. 17 to 20 can be intimidating, but like steel would have just been on it. Also steel would have been fired. Cause I don't think he would have had the, uh, compass mentors. <laughs> I also I can't steel. imagine steel being a male secretary. <laughs> I think steel would be an amazing male secretary personally. I mean, obviously he types with like two fingers. So you, you'd be waiting for your files for a long time. 
But yeah, I think he'd be brilliant to have hang- Steel hanging around the office with his mullet. Fuck yeah, what a delight to see every day. I think he'd be a better stewardess, personally. Oh, I think he'd be a wonderful <laughs> stewardess. Spirit Airlines. <laughs> It'd be amazing. <laughs> anyway, Tim, thank you uh, for, uh, for, for sharing that calculation with us. Um, people, call the Cigarette Hotline. We do want to hear from you. 323-522-4032. Once again, big ups to all the listeners who support us on Patreon. Seriously, I know we yeah. mentioned it a lot, but uh, we do really appreciate you helping us keep it sick and wrong. Patreon.com slash sick and wrong. Sign up today. We also got a uh, tea Public store with a, a hell of a lot of merch in there. I am working on some new designs. I just haven't had a chance to really uh, upload them yet, but... They're coming shortly. Sickandwrongpodcast.com slash shop. Click on the picture of the Pope and buy yourself some merch. Finally, here's Sick and Wrong Song of the Week. Okay, Rambo, there's been a number of musicians that died this past week. Oh, yeah, and not to mention uh, Kevin Conroy as well. He's fucking snuffed it. Yeah, Kevin Conroy, uh, Keith Levine, guitarist of The Clash, Dan McCaffrey, um, frontman for uh, Nazareth. Who'd you just mention? Uh, oh, he was also in Pill, Kevin. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Kevin Levine was in Pill as well. Um, Dan McCafferty from Nazareth and uh, and Nick Turner. Nick Turner, the co-founder of the British uh, space rock band Hawkwind. That's not a shock, though. I mean, he's fucking old. He was 82, but Dan McCafferty was like late 70s, too. Um, yeah, but he's the last of a living breed, Dan McCafferty. Yeah, no, that was Scottish uh, Scottish rockers from the seventies. Although I gotta say, I was never a big fan of Nazareth. I know I mean, you, you, I know you like his... them, but um, yeah. How old was Keith Levine when he? How old was Keith Levine when he died? Keith, Keith Levine is also, I think, like what 60s, 70s, seventies. Yeah. All these free gentlemen we're just talking about have consumed more drugs, and this was pure drugs back when they actually put drugs in drugs more than any of us free could ever, any of us two could ever wish. Do you imagine? And the they LSD made it to those ages that Nick Turner did. Yeah, probably like the best lots. kind. Anyway, on uh, on the on the Hawkwind's Facebook page, it said uh, we're deeply saddened to announce the passing of Nick Turner, the mighty Thunder Rider, who died uh, peacefully at his home uh, on Thursday. He's moved on to the next phase of his cosmic journey. So Tur- Turner founded uh, Hawkwind in uh, 1969 with Dave Brock, John Harrison, Terry Ellis, and Mick Slattery. And for several years, Lemmy was in the band. Lemmy. Lemmy from Motorhead. Yeah, the good years. Yeah, he the joined. The only good years of Hawkwind. I don't know. I, I love Hawkwind. Um, uh, it's yeah, too, it's not for me. It's, it's definitely, it's almost like, it's almost like jam music, but it's like psychedelic space rock. It's it's so good. They're it's like so my dad's band was exactly the same. I just yeah. can't sit. I just don't have the time to listen to it. A junk dad must have known the guys in uh, Hawkwind. Yeah, of course he will have done. I mean, similar ages, Same definitely. Scene. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, let me join Hawkwind '71, and then uh, he ended up uh, getting kicked out of the band. I think in '74, <laughs> maybe '75. Uh, Turner, Nick drugs. Turner, actually left Hawkwind '76, but he came back in '82 and played with them for another few years. Anyway, my favorite. I would say there's several key Hawkwind records. Space Ritual is amazing. It's a live record. It's it's brilliant if you could if you can get that. But one of my favorite Hawkwind records is Hall of the Mountain Grill, which is the last album that Lemmy was on. And yeah. there's a song on it, Lost Johnny, that was later recorded by Motorhead and as well as McFerrin from uh, the Deviants. Uh, okay. They both co-wrote that song. Uh, but that's on uh, Hall of the Mountain Grill. Came out in '74. 
Um, I want to end the show here with uh, You Better Believe It, which was the single version. Because that's the thing with Hawkwind. That's probably why I've mm. never played them on the shows. All their songs are like eight to ten minutes long. You know, so it's like so, we're not going to, yeah, we don't usually end the show with that. However, this is kind of a single version they did at a live show at Edmonton Sundown in uh, 1974. So the song's called You Better Believe It. And it's such a great song because it's uh, Nick Turner singing with Lemmy doing backup vocals. And it, it's, it's great. It's, it's, it's an amazing song. Cool. Um, you know, it's funny. I was reading a, an interview with, uh, with Brock who said that um, after, after Lemmy died, and he said, uh, you know, always admired that man. He was a great character, great musician, and he'll never be forgotten, you know. And uh, Lemmy would say when, when they asked him about Hawkwind, why he got kicked out of the band, he said because he did the wrong drugs. Wrong drugs. Because yeah. those guys were all like LSD, psilocybin, Lemmy's doing straight speed, and I don't think those guys really really did that. Uh, but Brock said that, you know, if Lemmy hadn't been fired from, Motor, from uh, Hawkwind, then he would never have formed Motorhead. And would never yeah. have gone off to, you know, you know, live the legacy that, you know, leave the legacy behind that he did. So It's like it, Iron Maiden with Paul. If they hadn't got rid of Paul, Iron oh, Maiden yeah. would have just been another band just, from that era. Just another new wave of British heavy metal band. I don't think they would have yeah. become what they are what they are today. But, yeah. No, I mean, it, it is a, a pretty amazing band. And rest in peace, Nick Turner. You will be missed. I actually met him once when they played a show in uh, San Francisco and just, just kind of yeah. shook his hand, but I was just like, wow, Nick Turner, this is amazing. Yeah. Incredible band. I I've often, I've done a lot of drugs listening to this <laughs> band as, as I imagine most of our audience has. So uh, we're going to end the show here with you better believe it by Hawkwind people. We'll be back next week with episode 870 till then take a sleazy.
banana phone. Ring, 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 banana phone. It's a ring, 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 two oh six, banana phone, six, 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 three, eight, four, six. Call the sick and wrong hotline. Ring, 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 ring. Banana phone. Are you drunk? Are you horny? Call the sick and wrong hotline. Ring, 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 ring. Banana phone. Ring, 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 ring. Banana phone.